Let's go. Master of all things tabletop. With the Paladins of Podcast. They ruin the games you love by talking rules that suck, how to build kick-ass encounters, destroy worlds, and really get your players invested. So go ahead and throw that fistful of dice at someone. Because we're going on a side quest. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Epic Table Games Side Quests. Your paladins of podcast, Rob and Eli. How are we doing today? Great. Roll for distraction. Yeah, new slogan, new tagline for Side Quests, man. I dig it. I dig it. Kind of hitting the pavement on that one, trying to find something new is... Uh, we're buckling down, narrowing down some of our host options and changing out our distributor. So things will be a little bit more beneficial in uh, in our favor. So it's exciting. Uh, let's jump right into it today. How's that sound? Well, uh, I have some good things and some bad things coming from my, my or at least mixed success, mixed successes at my home table. Um, do you want to talk about the the combat or do you want to talk about the other thing first uh, let's talk about the other thing first because that's something you had mentioned before you left uh and i wanted to hear how that played out and then we'll kind of talk about the combat thing yeah so while while i was gone in portugal i wanted to try to to like because we're going to be missing a couple of sessions i wanted to keep people um engaged in what was going on with the game and also um like give them some adventure hooks because essentially they went to the Underdark and adventured for a few months and a number of their protégés were running uh, running an inn that they've kind of been refurbishing. Mm-hmm. But they've been they've kind of been gathering knowledge that their protégés would know and would be reporting back um, to their players. And so what I was doing is I would be I was like dropping rumors and information that would kind of filter by. So I'd drop a, a list of like six or eight rumors, and then the players could choose to uh, like have their protégés or ask about various rumors. Okay. And then what that would mean is like I'd, I'd either have like a back and forth, like a slightly text-based back and forth with them about the information they got back, mm-hmm. or the next time I dropped a set of rumors, there would be one rumor following, like it would be like that character investigates and that would have a rumor. Um, okay. So like you said, this is home table for you, but this is also your online home table, right? This is like your yeah. primary online group. Yeah. How are you generally communicating with your party? We normally, this com- up? We normally communicate by, by text. So we text and we have a discord. Okay. Um, and I do have a couple. I do have like one player that is ex- very technologically adverse. Uh, like usually, the only time they interact like with the the stuff we use is when we're like playing. They'll be in roll twenty. Okay. Um, but then I also have a number of people that are very tech adept, and I was hoping to snag. Um, like I usually have one person that's very active in in role playing. And one person that is kind of on the fence. And mm-hmm. I was hoping to snag the person that was on the fence into it. And neither of the two people that I thought were going to get snagged into it got snagged into it. 
And this is where you feel it wasn't as effective as you wanted it to be. Yeah. Yeah. So there, it ended up being like, I, I thought I'd be getting like four players to engage mm-hmm. with it. And I got kind of two and a half. Okay. Is what it felt like. Um, so a little bit of a bummer on my part. Well, how many players do you have total? A six. All right. So, I mean, you're just under half your party. You were hoping for about four, but you got two and a half. Yeah. Um, truthfully, that's not too bad when you consider your party size versus trying to do something outside of scheduled game time, is it? True. Um, you know, it's just, uh, I, I personally, I mean, I, I love role-playing games. If yes. I, I could think about them all the time. So, yep. like, for me, I'm just like, oh, man, this would be great to throw up. And then I kind of throw, throw it up onto the, the server and hopefully... Uh, you know, if it drives their engagement, sure. Otherwise, it's it's fun doing the thing, like creating the rumors. So. Right. So what happens when you guys get back together for your next game and they want to investigate more of these rumors? Um, like, was your purpose to jumpstart something for your next session back? Or was it so you could have everybody follow up uh, when you all came back? Uh, I, it's... And it might just be that this is going to be something that takes a little bit of time to kick in, um, because right now they're they're kind of solidly on a, a quest. Okay. Um, and it's it's going to be quite a number of sessions before we actually wrap that up, but mm. then they're going to be looking towards the next quest, and that's really what I'm trying to set up is give them like a number of options and lay out and see what they're interested in, so I can uh, prepare in those directions. Um, did you happen to say anything like that when you sent out the rumors? Like, hey, guys, I'm trying to figure out what you're interested in. Here are some rumors that uh, that are around town. I did. And okay. like, part of me was a little bit worried. Like, but uh, like, part of me is bummed out that there was this, this low engagement. But on the other hand, the, the people that were engaged did have quite a bit of engagement. Um, enough that one of the players was really talking to me about trying to unify the party behind his his campaign goal. Oh, nice. Um, so while like the engagement was a little low, I think it might have gotten enough traction with one player. And typically my party, they can kind of blob in every direction. Mm-hmm. But then once one person is really like gung-ho, they're, they'll just all, they're all willing to step step behind the leader and then follow them blindly wherever right. whenever sure sure so that's not so bad and ultimately like you said you've got the one who really kind of decided to go all in and hopefully that's going to bring the rest of the party um i mean fruition is still there i think that's still a win yeah i i think there's going to be there are some takeaways though i'll probably try to use this again um but tweak how i do it uh, I I put a lot of kind of faceless or random rumors that they pull that I put into it. All I right. think why I, I, it's a great opportunity to just tie it to NPCs that they know. Yeah. Um, um, and then that way they have people that they can follow up, and maybe someone even knows a couple different things. Yep. So. I think I think that's a good way to do it is to tie it to the NPCs that they may already know. Um, 
when I have done similar things, just throwing it out, hey, as you guys are gathering information or walking around, these are some of the things that you've heard and picked up on. Um, if it doesn't tie into a larger arc by any degree, um, or if I haven't sown seeds of it beforehand, most of my players won't take a bite. Uh, it would be even worse in a scenario where I was trying to do this in between games and trying to still actively engage. Um, I can definitely see where struggles are, but again, it, even having one to two players, I think is something you could really develop from there. What kind of things did you feel like you've uh, learned how to do for next time? Oh, that, that was mainly the the one that I had. Uh, okay. There's some, some small things in like how I'm going to structure and organizationally, like for my side, how I'm going to organize things. Sure. Um, because that like after after creating rumors for like three or four like weeks, I kind of got into some habits and like patterns and I was like, oh, this I think I figured out how the, to get in the swing of these. Fair. Now. As you're talking about this, I had an idea that popped up in my head, and I wanted to kind of get your initial uh, knee-jerk reaction. All right. So you send these rumors out via probably the group chat channel, maybe to one person directly. What would you feel if, as a player, somebody was taking the same initiative you were doing as a DM? but instead kind of filtered it in places that you might just randomly stumble across it, like in your email box or <laughs> have uh, have the ability to send somebody a physical letter. Be interesting. I mean, an email would might feel a little pointed because uh, I... I feel like then that might feel like homework for them if it's being sent in a, in an email, but that's just maybe like my aversion to or to email as emails. more of a, as more of like a formal okay. thing. Okay. Um, and I don't we haven't really communicated a lot with emails, but I have sent out like sent them some PDF uh, some things through the emails, so I might do that. But uh, physical. Well, it's. I think physical might be a little different for you guys because you're all digital. Yeah. So, whereas I play a lot of games with a lot of physical individuals uh, at the table, it'd be even harder because I'd have to ask them for their addresses. But once I had <laughs> that, once I had them, I think it would be kind of fun, at least on the surface, to say, "Hey, you might randomly get some NPC game information. Just kind of keep a lookout." <laughs> um, I, I, maybe I, it feels like it might be a little like. Would you only email one person, or the entire group? I would. I think I would do it where everybody kind of gets it individually. Um, but I might let the entire group know to keep an eye out for uh, rumors coming through certain channels. So I, I used to really like doing individual stuff to individual players. Um, in terms of like the active game knowledge, mm -hmm. um, and some I've started to like stray away from it of giving like super inform super individual because some players just won't just, they'll just be like interesting yeah and I then think that, nothing yeah I I think that is 
it's a darn shame, honestly, because some players are super into it. Other players aren't. You don't want to invest the same amount of time to the ones who aren't going to utilize it all. So you got to downsize it, downscale it, paraphrase it, chop it up and be like, well, this is the important bits and you're not as happy to give it to them because presentation has been condensed to a single paragraph, double spaced. Um, yeah, I think I think it really boils down to is how many players document things. Like yeah. how if if you give it to one player, they might be like, oh, this is really cool. But if they don't write it down somewhere or log it, or I mean, for you, you have those wonderful little folders. Yep. So if you've given it to them, they really have it forever. Um, if they but, stick it in a sleeve. Yeah. Yeah. I, you I know, guess it's... with digital, if you can send out, like, if you could have individually shared Google Google Doc files, or you could share individually on Roll20, I think there would be ways to do the same thing. You would want to make sure not to put it in, like, a chat or a message log. You'd want it in findable space. Well, if you wanted to do it in Google Docs, you could just create individual folders for everybody, create individual share links, and only give those share links to those individuals. Yeah. And then you keep it easy by naming it with, you know, player name, character name. Uh, so that way you know who is who and what information they get and then structure it from there. Um, I tried something similar, but it was a real pain for me. I I hate utilizing all of the uh, cloud storage stuff for that. Not to mention not everybody used it. But if I give them a piece of paper and they chose not to read it from there, it's at least in their folder. So That is one get... thing I really liked about physical, like playing in person. Yeah, I do. I do feel like the the tangible resources are like treasured. At least my, yeah. me as a player, I think I've got like a folder. It's got like every single treasure list. Like I've got like a fourteenth level Pathfinder one e character. Nice. And I've got like every single loot sheet that I've ever like recorded. Like twelve long swords, two hundred gold. <laughs> like, nice. Crossed out dates we sold them. Like I just collect all that. And see, that's great. I like. I love the players who do that. I really like the commitment that they have to that. Um, as you talk about individual props and stuff, I have one character who is in my first edition Pathfinder game. He plays a character who is a part of a secret organization known as um, the Order of the Eastern Star. And in my world, they are bogged down by bureaucratic BS. So I have given him like actual forms to fill out. Like, hey, you want to submit this information for records, you got to fill out this form. You want to recall information, you got to submit this form. And he has, he has done it. He's like, I want to know this much. So I'll print out a form. I'm like, you have to fill out this form to get it. And he loves it. He <laughs> thinks it's absurd and obnoxious and he, he revels in it. He thinks it's fun to do. Um, other players, I could hand Freedom them. Freedom of fantasy information tact. It Essentially. Yeah. Um, other players, I could hand them a, a board and it's like, hey, you got to play a quick game of tic-tac-toe while we're not doing anything, and they'll play on their phones instead. So, um, <laughs> it, it's, it's individual players, but when you find the ones who are super into it, um, you hope that you're a good enough DM to keep them around, because eventually you'll have a table of players who all feel the same way. So, that is... Oh, it's a doozy. I I do like the like I do like having tables that are all different people, but mm -hmm. there's it is it is lovely to have a table of like you know players that 
a hand-picked table is always lovely. Yes, but that takes a long time. Like, I'm finally starting to be able to get to the point where I can pick maybe three or four, but I still have to file in, you know, one to three, depending on how we want the game to roll. Um, but I would never complain about my players in a way that says I don't want them at my table. That's I also, true. I also wouldn't complain if some of them left, but, you know, <laughs> I don't really have any of those players right now, so it's all good. Um, let's, let's get right into that, that combat scenario before I forget about this, because this is, like, this is a big one for me. Yeah. Well, uh, the party, um, like right before we left, actually, the party just was infiltrating an orc village and they decided to attack it. They, it was great. They had no planning. They were like. We're going to send our, our assassin in to scout it out. Everyone else will just wait outside. And then it's the assassin gets out. up there, and then they, they're like, we had agreed for a signal, right? And the assassin's like, yeah, yeah, you know, the like flashing daggers. And so they flashed some daggers, and the party was like, those, those signals meant we attack, right? And they just attacked. <laughs> um, nice. And there was, like, before, there was no discussion about what, like, there there was no actual discussion of if they were going to communicate with each other. Okay. But I figured that since they didn't have a method of communication, they would just come up with whatever conclusion that they would eventually come up to as a party. So I just let them, let them communicate, and they... They attacked, and yeah. So we've been into we've been in a giant fight, um, and we've had one session already of of the fight in which the party has been doing a great job, hacking their way through works. So- they had they had they they've been working themselves up. They saw like two armored ogres, and they easily slayed them. So, all right, so. This is a combat that has spanned at least one whole section. That is correct. And still has more sessions to go. Yep. So you have left session hanging in combat. Are you still in initiative? Uh, We are still in initiative. We still got like a a second count going on. Um, And there probably will be We'll probably still keep a, a second count going on, um, but over the next couple of sessions. But I know that they will have at least if they choose to pause. There will also there are also natural pauses in the fighting, um, like based on where the orcs were all laid out. Not all of them could even if they all stopped what they're doing immediately and ran. They would have different times of getting there. Um, and so sure. there, there, there's going to be natural kind of waves of combatants, even if they just sit there. Um, but the party might decide to push it. Right, right. And see, this is, this is where one of my big, um, I don't even want to say contentions comes in, because I don't mind pausing a game in the middle of initiative, but as a DM, I won't do it or I'll try really hard not to. Now, there are obviously some cases where 
I have been forced to do so. Like I start early enough, but they draw it out long enough. Um, obviously, you don't feel like it's a huge deal to pause in the middle of a combat. Well, this is the great part about playing online is like if I'm playing in person, I, I would have usually tried to gauge like, oh, man, do we have enough time to actually finish this combat? Or, nope, we'll pause right before we start. Um, or in person, you can just be like, screw it. Let's just play until 2 a.m. Right. We'll finish this fight before before we leave this house. Um, but with digital, everyone could just step away, and everything will be everything's preserved. There's no table you have to pack up. There's no okay. Uh, you know, dice. There's no map you have to erase. So there's not really like like stepping away. Everything's perfectly preserved. Um, I think it can sometimes run into trouble in maintaining momentum, though. Right. Now, what happens if something like uh, next session, one of your players can't make it? I mean, obviously you have to roll without them. Or do you just wait until everybody can get back together? Well, that's really the the sucky thing. Um, If you run, like if you play, uh, like we we play if we have quorum. So it's not always the same same couple people. Um, There might be a switch up and that has happened. Um, And when we end in the middle of combat, then, you know, you, you basically, you put your character's life in the hands of one other player. You're like, keep my character safe until they can, you know, get out of the situation. Or nice. sometimes the, the character that's like key to their, their plan is missing. And so yep. they'll be like, I give you my character's like possession of my character. And um, we've had one time where we like, cause like every once in a while there'll be a decision like, Oh, would this character actually do this? And we'll kind of have a chat around the table with, with, with everyone there. And we'll be like, well, this is what, like, this is kind of how we weigh it. And if it's, you know, if it's too much actual debating, we will pause and, uh, we might just end the session until that player can make it the next week or until we can communicate with that player. Sure. So. Sure. That makes sense. Um, so yeah, I've done issues where I've had players who have had to leave early mid uh, combat and they are oftentimes going to hand off their character sheets to somebody else. And they're usually the people who can have a decent amount of combat tactics just sort of an autopilot. Just going to roll to attack. You know, anytime it's going to give me an advantage to charge or power attack, I'm going to do that kind of thing. So that's easy enough to handle. But I'm always afraid of coming back to a combat that I've started and finishing it up next session where I don't have the same players or uh, changing the balance of the combat ratings or challenge ratings might skew it too far. Um I've, I'm never really too sure what to do, so I always do what I can. Absolutely, I always do what I can to avoid splitting that combat between multiple sessions. So sometimes I like uh, splitting combats, like to try to do it intentionally, because sometimes the party just needs like a mental break, or like because sometimes you can be halfway through like a, a fight with like a tough boss mm-hmm. or like a, a large battle sequence, and you're like as a GM, you're like. Oh my goodness, the party, there's like five ways that the party could actually get through this. And they're choosing 
a six option that's 10 times harder than all of them. Like, sure. Giving them a break between, like, you know, between sessions to, to think about their combat, think about their abilities, think about what they can do, and even just like sitting down and kind of like discussing what they might do can can get them through a, 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 situ, a dangerous situation. And, That's true. you know, like, especially as me who like, who sometimes just throws very difficult situations at my players, I don't mind them having that break and, you know, being on their, the cutting edge of their character's abilities. That's fair. That's fair. It reminds me of, uh, <clears throat> not necessarily of pausing a combat, but another question as I'm considering one of these last combats, one of my players, um, initiated how do you deal with some of the tactics that come from your npcs or monsters because for an example i ran a small dragon up against the party no problem for the party but why would the dragon ever land like why wouldn't it just spam its breath weapon from the distance it can if it can do it every round and then just fly away when it's done. Well, I would have had it fly around in breath weapon attack. I I did, but so it just didn't kill the entire party because they didn't have any way to defend against it. I let it land, and within two rounds, it was dead. Well, that so. seems more like a you decision. Because sometimes there are things that just rock, paper, scissors your party, and you have to let it work. Otherwise, so, don't even throw rocks at them. So, literally, I mean, they didn't have anything to go up against flying creatures because so few parties do. And in your shoes, you're like, oh, well, dragon fucking killed you all. Yeah. Let the harpies, you know, or, or the or the rocks or all the flying things shoot. You're gonna get shot at from arrows uh, up on top of those rocks. You guys don't have any ranged weapons. It's Why? So, so you let you let them suffer. Okay. No, that's fair. That's fair. Um, I did have a player experience her first. Uh, Paracolum Mortis Death Avoidance. I gotta say that because I started it off weird. So she wasn't playing with her death flag, but she died, and she died by this dragon. <laughs> um, and because she didn't die due to death flag, it just mawed her horribly <clears throat> and left her very scarred. And as a bard, who is incredibly scarred now, she took a negative penalty to her charisma. So she went from a four to a plus zero. And she's like, there are, I should have just died. I, you took away everything. I'm like, nah, you can come back from this. You couldn't have come back from a dead character. Now this is just another goal for your character to, to add on to. And um, it was one of those things where before game session zero, we talked about, hey, if you're not going to die, you're going to experience things that might be worse than death. And this is just one of those things. And uh, she messages me later. She says, you know, if if the scars don't make me look horribly disfigured, but they make me look badass, I can handle that. 
And I'm like, the scars will look however you want and need them to, to be cool with your character. Um, but there's just a mechanical hindrance right now until you work around that. And it was, that was how we ended that game, because we weren't going to end it mid-combat. So but, how, how were you, how are you envisioning uh, the character can work around this scarring, disfiguring? Um, Which is, took you from a, sounds like an 18 to like a 10? Essentially. A, a yeah. plus four to a plus zero? Yeah, essentially. Um, so with their current healing abilities, um, I've said that they don't have enough of a, enough magical skill to fix it with the wave of the finger right now. But there may be people out there who can do so. This is a bite from a magical dragon, so it's infused with a very powerful issue at this point. Um, so they can't just hand wave a consequence goodbye. They're okay with that, and I figure they will find somebody who can uh, grant a wish later, or somebody who knows some weird magic, which they've already met, who can do something. So uh, one of the godlike ca characters that you have. Yeah. Yeah. Because I finally nail it down. There are three or four different gods in my game of Animar uh, who just sort of walk the earth when they feel like it. All right. So, yeah. Why not, right? The Greeks did it. I can do it too. But, but um, I'm waiting for one of your characters to pimp slap one. Um, might be coming up soon. Might die for it, but it's coming up. But uh, yeah, it's it's just one of those things. I try to uh, I try to avoid situations, and you're right, I I don't really like to kill my party very often, uh, especially in situations where they seem like it's incredibly unfair, but. If they know that dragons are in the area and they don't have anything to defend against dragons, they run into a dragon. It's kind of but dragon dinner. I also think that the the reverse, it's like it's a two-edged sword, right? So like you do sometimes have to cast the 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 fear spell on the character that's like immune to panic. Um, you have to you also have to engage with your party's strong points. So you can't just pick and choose only the hard interactions to, oh, right. to throw at your party. Um, right. And most of my party don't really have too many super difficult encounters. Like most things that they are uh, presented with, they can either come out on top easily or with a little bit of teamwork. If they choose to exercise that teamwork, they'll come out on top way more often. But they have magically found ways to fail forward almost every session. It's incredible. Magically, yeah. Yeah, magically fail forward. But hey, you know, my fault, like, they're always looking for the best way to get to the top, and they shoot for the moon, which is great. Uh, half the time, they're just on the express rocket ship, hoping it doesn't blow up. And it does, but they still survive. Um, it's not That's bad. That's fair. Yeah, it's not bad. So, outside of those, um, we're kind of leading right into a little bit of the things that I have changed for games to help make it more fun for my players. I was hoping that we could touch on that a little bit, as we have uh, about 10 to 15 minutes left here. I, I mean, I think every every home game is a got to make some custom modifications to make a game more enjoyable. Right. Especially if you play it for any length of time. 
I agree with that. And one of the things that I have always done is I've given my players max health at every level. And one thing that we've talked about just before we hit record was with the death flag, Pericola Mortis, is it really necessary? No, but it's one of those things where that was instilled before the death flag. So, yeah, so now post death flag, for the next game you run with the death flag, are you going to give them max health at first level? No, probably not. Well, correction. At first level, yes. Every other level after that, no. Why not fully embrace it? Because the rules state that first level gets max health. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Follow the rules. Come on. I mean, it already sucks enough when you're rolling for health and you get one. When, when you only get one and you have zero constitution because you're a wizard and you're already squishy, that's Oh, man, that's already a big hit to your oh shit factor. Just makes survival that the more delicious fruit. Yeah, yeah, especially because instead of sending troglodytes, you're sending you're sending dust bunnies. <clears throat> so. I, I, I also think, I mean, some games are more deadly than others, and some, yeah. some you just have to tackle smaller challenges. That's, or that's level zero, zero grinders. Uh, you know that is very true have you ever started a game at level zero yeah yeah like dcc games i tried it once i think it was in a three five game i had a dm role and it wasn't bad we got essentially we started from like level x commoner to level zero adventurer is how he described it and oh so you played hackmaster i i guess so (laughs) Like I said, it was still 3-5, but it was interesting. It was interesting. It wasn't bad, just different. Um, That's kind of where I started picking up, actually not the individual uh, who ran that game, but one of my friends who was a DM who was also in that game. That's where I started developing my thing, like making small tweaks and changes. Max health uh, per level, kind of if I want heroic players, uh, change the dice rolls. So they have a larger chance of higher numbers, etc. And one of the things that I changed just recently is if a player gets a critical hit, it's just max damage. Like that pains my heart. The uh, that pains your heart. Yeah, it pains my heart. You know, it pains my heart to get a critical and roll minimum damage. Yeah, but for for me, if you can, I mean, for for some for Pathfinder, especially since you can increase your critical chance. If you know you're doing a set amount of damage every time, for me, that just that gamifies it. That, oh, I always do this. The rolling, that's the, that's the dice coming up in your favor or, or, or damning you. Gotta let the, you know, I've, I've never had a great moment of being like, oh, well, I just do this set damage, so that just kills that monster. But I've had lots of great moments where it's like, you know, not all the dice roll out. You've got one more, and you're like, wait, it all comes down to this dice. If I roll a three or a four on this D4, I'm slain him. And you roll, and it happens or it doesn't. See, the way you describe it is fantastic, but I don't let my players know how much hit points the die, the uh, the creature has left, so they won't know if it comes down to they need a three or four and a D4. Um, on, on top of that, 
yeah, while they can scale down and get a critical threat range at 15 to 20 on the D20 roll, um, a lot of my monsters already have high enough AC where confirming is, I mean, not impossible, but it's still semi-difficult when I put them up against something appropriate. And a lot of times when the monster is so close to death, if they hit, I'm like, look, you're gonna you're gonna kill it based on your minimum damage. Like, well, I want to roll anyway. I was like, it's dead. But if you want to roll, go for it. See, people just want to roll, roll, click, clack, dice, brain, go, yay. You're right. You're you're right. But they don't want to roll low, low on a critical either. So it's just the critical. It's just the criticals that I will say max damage. Otherwise, they got to roll everything else. What's next? Everything has fixed damage values. It does in my Infinium system. Barbarianism. Hey, what can I say? I'm a, I'm a meat shield through and through at this point. But <laughs> I, I, I like those small changes that we've made because my players have been able to express more enjoyment. Um, <clears throat> and they have more fun this way. It's, it's definitely on their faces. It's things They're more excited about getting the critical and doing the big number. They don't feel like they have to roll all the dice to get it. Uh, and I like seeing that. Other than that, I don't make too many small changes. A lot of changes at that point are big changes. Um, but like you said, everybody makes at least some. What kind of changes have you made to help increase your players' enjoyment? Um, I have made changes uh, mainly based on skills. Um, I've tried to like give out extra points for skills uh, like from, from playing. And there's a number of skills that are uh, like where, where you're supposed to specify, like where you choose a type of history. And uh, I encourage and let players take skills without choosing a specific one until they reach a situation where they might need it. So characters will start picking up history, basically picking up skills and then asking about them, hey, would, would this skill might maybe be useful in this situation? And then, like, tying it down with something that uh, we guarantee will come up and play. Okay. Okay, that's not bad. It's a way to help, <clears throat> I'd say, invest in certain things like non-mechanical, not, sorry, not mechanical, but non-combative sides. I like yeah, that. Yeah, I, I try to, like, encourage more interaction and usability out of, because... Hackmaster has a great combat system, mm -hmm. but the skill system it, it uses yeah. needs some polishing and needs needs some work, and so that's where I like to try to add embellishments and you know, allow more usability uh, out of it, and in usability in the way that the players uh, are looking for. I think that's fair. How do you feel about the proposed changes to certain mechanics in Dungeons and Dragons where D20s will just be success on 20s regardless of why you're rolling them? Um, I disagree with it. Disagree? Uh, yeah. I mean, at least in my games, uh, I, I'm not looking for, you know, there's not always, sometimes the chances are less than 5%. Some things are impossible. You can't always toss your dice. So I I agree. I don't like the idea of a success like auto success, crit success on skill checks. Um 
I, I think that is auto successing at 20 is a little absurd. Like you said, there are some things that are just impossible to do. No, you cannot throw that mountain. But if I get a 20, I can. No, you just can't lift the mountain. Not, you... However, I mean, there are a lot of people who want to play the game where you can. You always have a chance of success. And if that's what you want to do, then succeeding on a 20 is, is perfect. True. But you can always, you know, roll that natural one. And that also, that's the, that's the balance. You know, you, you get a critical and that succeeds, but you roll a one and you've now romanced the orc. You know, I think if I think in this case, if somebody tries to go the route of throw the mountain with a nat twenty, nat one, you're breaking your back in the attempt to lift it. So <laughs> we're we're just going to go the complete opposite of these ridiculous rules. But yeah. I, hey. I mean, I I personally think that if you want to play a very like high fantasy heroic game, there's probably better options than playing fifth uh, edition. Then you have a lot of rules for. Not a lot of reason, anyways. Right, right. Never mind all the rules you want that have been eliminated from earlier editions. So, but hey, it's okay. Everybody's got gripes about every game, and there are so many out there that I always encourage people to learn about as many as you can. Test out as many as you can. Um, people will find their favorites. Like, Hackmaster's yours, where Pathfinder's mine, and I think I'm starting to really develop an affinity for... Uh, Finding unusual indie games. You should maybe develop an affinity for playing them. Uh, I should find an affinity for players who have an affinity for playing them. Hey, folks, this next upcoming Saturday, we're playing a different game. I hear All that. of your characters have been mesmerized by the, the Illithid, who has transformed you into a strange world. In which you're all like 1920s investigators looking for Cthulhu. I got crickets over here. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I dig it. Uh, before we close out, I did happen to come across a very interesting uh, phrase in another Discord server that I'm a part of. Uh, and it came from somebody who said that. For a lot of the podcasts that they listen to, they have yet to hear mention of their online web space. And so I'm going to plug it for them. Are you ready for this, Eli? Um, sure. You're like, oh shit, what are we doing? Open Who are game we plugging. Open gaming <laughs> store. Oh. I mean, it's it's one of the biggest things that you see when you go to like the uh the D20 PFSRD for us. Uh, Open Gaming Store also has a lot of great information, uh, great uh, modules and adventures, things that people have published, etc. And it seems like a really great alternative to drive through RPG with a lot of content. I've actually used it quite a bit. So, if you still wow, play... Wow, I'm checking it out now. Thank you. Because if you still play a little bit of the older systems... Uh, such as Pathfinder First Edition, huge treasure <laughs> trove of information. They have nothing for Hackmaster. Oh, well, they got plenty of stuff for me. <laughs> you know, you want to say anything else? Uh, as we're going to close out today's episode. 
read about how to develop factions for your gameplays. SpaghettiOs. So, check us out on Facebook or online at epictablegames.com. We'll see you next time. Adios. Okay, new intro. We've changed the name, and we're still using the word paladin. Paladin. I mean, it hasn't been used in the English language in about 200 years, but okay. Okay.